we're talking about today, one E4 best by test, kind of our recommendations of what to play against the major responses. And um, we're going to first, though, recap a little bit this amazing match that was played by the amazing Mitch, the chessable GM, <laughs> against our very own Eugene Perlstein. And very much a discussion about E4. I set uh, Eugene up with a perk, a Scandi, an Alakine, and a Nidorf. And um, yeah, well, I have some thoughts in it, but why don't we hand it over to Eugene and just give us a, a breakdown of your just final thoughts on that match. Yeah, sure. That was an interesting match. Uh, I guess I did not expect to go down on flames in game one. Right. I just got a terrible position out of the perk. And maybe I played it overly riskily or underestimated Mitch, but it felt like I just got a terrible position out of the opening. And he basically played like razor accurate moves to put me away. Like, I don't think I was ever even close. Um, in that game. Right, right. Um, so you can imagine, guys, my, my feeling after game one. <laughs> Here is a grandmaster who is getting smashed around by Mitch. And uh, I was already going to order uh, Pampers for those who get the reference. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but somehow I was able to turn the match around. And I think it sort of helped that Mitch played h3 line in the Nidorf in game two because it allowed me to play g6 mm -hmm. to get my type of not quite accelerate dragon, but it's like a dragon dwarf uh, setup. And I think uh, that miniature, I think it was a 16 move win, mm -hmm. really put me back, gave me confidence to fight back. And I think game three and four, I was the one dictating the match, trying to press those GM grind end games and uh -huh. at some point uh, uh, I think Mitch actually defended really well I don't think he was losing any of those end games until the very end and then I think maybe because of the time or just inexperience I managed to 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 get those wins so the 3-1 score does not really uh, accurately you know it's not like I won comfortably I was suffering after game one yeah and then those GM grinds I had to use a lot of energy for those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think for me, what was most surprising, Eugene, was that, uh, you know, part of the experiment would be like, okay, how hard would it be to defend against a guy who has all this chessable knowledge? And to my sensibility, none of those games were really influenced that much by the opening. Even the game you lost, like you kind of went, you, you did a weird thing right away where he didn't have any special knowledge, I feel, in the first perk game. You know, if anything, maybe you played the weird thing just because you were so scared of facing his weird prep. You know, his, his... well, that's exactly right. Because I mean, yeah. the bishop e three, queen d two, castle long line is extremely sharp. Right. I know that it's sharp. I know black is going to get in trouble mm -hmm. unless he knows his theory. Right. And I decided to just get him out of the book as early as possible. But as a result, I got myself into a really bad position. Right. And right. granted, I thought he actually played extremely well. That he didn't just go after me, right? He just slowly remaneuvered the knights and then timely e5 push. Um, in the critical moment, he actually took a lot of time and he played it quite accurately. So I thought like the execution was perfect, time management was perfect, and his tactics were perfect. Like he didn't make right. a single mistake in my opinion. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Jesse, Jesse always talks about how it could be intimidating to go up against Mitch in the opening that could sort of like cast a 
Uh oh. I think we all over know. how you play the rest of the game or the rest, like worried that you could turn that around. What's wrong? Oh, you, you briefly went out, but it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, you're back. Oh, okay. I'm sorry about the internet. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, David. Like, uh, uh, I played him a 10 minute game once and I was so terrified of it that. You know, against another GM, I would, wouldn't be so scared of the opening. But if you're playing somebody who's lower rated, I think, and I think Eugene did this too, you just want to get some position. You don't even care if it's bad, right? You just get some position where the guy doesn't have some kind of superhuman <laughs> abilities, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I switched to Knight C6 because of Mitch. This is like a Mitch support group. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I was like, I can't play the Taimanov anymore. He's going to bishop b3, queen f3 me, and it's going to be bad. <laughs> oh, man. That's really rough. Okay. Well, uh, we can continue talking about this. Let me just introduce what we're going to do today. This is a picture of what it's going to look like. And we're going to try to give our recommendations uh, for each of these openings. And it's a little bit controversial. Let me explain. <laughs> it's controversial in the sense that we, uh, you know, so we had another, uh, the first part of this opening series, we were talking about openings against D4 and E4, and we were uh, talking about this division between recommendations for pro players and club players. And I kind of said, oh, that's not meaningful. And David kind of said the club players should be playing anything anyway. And... So now we still have a philosophical division between us. So I think uh, we'll just talk maybe a little bit about that now. I feel like there's different approaches for different players. And one of the things that was kind of insightful for me coming out of that was that David said that the club players should play all kinds of different things. And the more I thought about it, I was like, no, the pro players are the ones that play all kinds of things. And the people at a lower rated, they should play something good. They should, but they should just get good at it. You know, they should play it mm -hmm. again and again until it really starts to get a, into, you know, make grooves into their mind and they can really understand it well. Um, in any case, we have that philosophical division among us. We can talk about it more, but that's just the backdrop for our discussion today. All right, should we dive in? Or any other final thoughts? Yeah, let's uh, jump right into the openings, guys. All right. So, uh, well, why don't we do it in the order of these faces? I picked them pretty randomly, but this way Eugene gets to have the final word. Nice. David. What And I'm going to try just my best. You know, a lot of these systems don't have names, and I'm just going to try my best to write in a quick acronym or whatever it is that we can use for these different systems. David, what do you, yeah, how, how do you approach E5, both in teaching and what you think is best? Um, well, I would recommend, I mean, for somebody learning, again, I would recommend that they go through everything. But I think for today... What I'm going to try and give here are my recommendations of like what variations I think are probably best. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, for me, that's kind of at any level. So again, okay. I'm not like, you know, if you're 1400, you should play this line. If you're 1800, you should play this line. If you're 2200, that one or whatever. I'll just say what I think is best against E5 um, is the Rui Lopez. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would 
Yeah. I mean, that's just my answer to what is best. I mean, what, what you should play is kind of whatever tickles you or whatever you want to learn more about, et cetera. But yeah, the Rui is the best option. Okay, good. Um, I just realized I have to do something here. Uh, mm -hmm. I, okay. Yeah, good. I had it in white, the, the color of the text in white, and that would have been a disaster. Okay. The Rui. I think there's a number of things. And uh, one thing I think is interesting about the Rui uh, in my lifetime is the Rui was a totally different beast when I was a kid than it is now with Fisher playing C3, D4. And one of the amazing things about Carlsen and the way world champions work is even amateur players who don't know anything about the way Carlsen has played the Rui, when we're talking like a slow Rui with D3 instead of even trying for D4, uh, that that's permeated all the way down the ecosystem. And so you don't really find people playing the Rui the old way anymore. Um, I, of all these openings, this is the one where I am the least familiar. I've never really understood E4, E5, but I am going to give my own personal recommendation. And you guys are going to laugh at me, but I really like this as a repertoire. Yeah. I mean, thing. also... Oh, shoot. Go ahead, David. Oh, sorry. I was going to say the other impact of that is that there's no longer a very big difference between the Rui and the Italian. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, it's a smaller difference than it used to be. Look at what I'm putting up there, guys. The fried liver and the Evans. Nice. That's a man's <laughs> opening. And uh, one of the things I like about it, actually, is I think as a chess player and even a teacher, I, I don't like the very, um, I, I like the imbalances. So with the fried liver, there's a lot of imbalance in the Evans, there's a lot of imbalance. And I think, yeah, whenever I'm learning an open, I want to focus in on understanding those uh, imbalances. And by the way, I think the thing about the, I think it's just, you know, fried liver and Evans have been played by world champions. And I think it's good to look at how they played them. So I like the way Kasparov played the Evans, and I like the way that Fischer and Steinitz played the fried liver with uh, knight h3, bishop takes h3, gh3 in the main line. So uh, that's my idiosyncratic contribution to today's e4, e5 conversation. Cool. All right, Kosta, what do you like? Uh, okay, so yeah, there's a lot of options against e4, e5, obviously. And um, again, there is this question of, yeah, kind of like what's objectively best versus what might be better for like players of different levels. Mm -hmm. um, so for e4, e5, I guess my ideal like opening choice would be something that combines um, a variation that is both objectively like sound and playable and also like introduces the player to some kind of like fun or interesting positions, especially ones like where they're attacking. So um, for lower levels, when someone is starting out, I'm a big fan of something like either uh, it's going to be hard to just choose one, but I'll try to figure it out. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of something like either the Evans Gambit or the Scotch Gambit, because I think these mm. are like really healthy openings. Yeah. The ideas of initiative are very, very clear, especially the Evans uh, for players that are, I'm going to say like below 1500 mm -hmm. is, um, 
just a really dangerous line, number one, like, so you can score a lot of wins with it if, if you enjoy winning, but also like teaches you how to play with the initiative, teaches you how to play uh, down a pawn and not trying to like just win it back immediately. So it's like actually a really, I think, useful set of positions that you can play mm-hmm. from playing the, um, the, the oven. So I guess I'll say my final answer is going to be uh, Italian game slash Evans. So you can also play the Italian game in a slow version with like D3 and C3. And uh, of course, this is one that objectively you can play at, at any level, um, but also gives you options to do stuff like the Scotch Gambit, the Evans Gambit, um, or just to eventually just play it slow. I've quite a few students actually that started out playing something like the Evans or maybe even the Fried Liver. And then once they started playing some more experienced opponents who weren't just like losing out of the opening then they learned to switch over to kind of like a slower build up with like the italian game with d3 c3 knight d2 knight f1 knight g3 like these middle game plans mm-hmm. and, uh, and then playing for that kingside attack and i think that's kind of like a mature progression and i'll just say then once someone i think reaches a range of like uh maybe maybe 1800 to 2000 if they really like want to start learning the rui lopez like that would be really good for their development but ultimately probably not like super necessary mm-hmm. uh before okay and eugene before i actually i'll just say this i think as all of us as chess coaches we've taught a lot of kids and then the first thing is we want those kids to play violent stuff especially kids <laughs> we want them to play e4 and then a bunch of violent stuff and i would say that's like i don't associate that I get really with uh, beginners I associate it with kids like old guys they should play the Carlson Rui you know they should play the Carlson Rui there's nothing wrong with that anyways that's my two sets uh Eugene what do you got for us yeah I would uh very closely agree with Kostya in terms of uh if you're just starting out Mm -hmm. I really love gambits even though once you get better, you understand that, you know, not all gambits are created equal. Right. Queen's gambit and King's gambit, for example, right? Yeah. They're both gambits, but they're not equal. <laughs> That's right. So basically, if you're starting out, I highly recommend all sorts of gambits, like King's gambit or Vienna oh, God. are uh-huh. great. Uh-huh. Uh, I used to play the Vienna when I was a kid with great success until probably 1800 or 2000. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, Scotch gambit as well. So pretty much gambits, uh-huh. if you're starting out, if you're above 2000, it's a different story. Uh, at this point, you're probably not catching your opponent off guard. You may even not get in any advantage. In that case, you really need uh, opening that, that is heavily geared toward the playable middle game. And I think Roy Lopez is by far the most interesting uh, from a middle game perspective, especially those D3 Carlson lines. So mm-hmm. if I were to divide it up, I would say Gambits and Roy. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think like if, if you have really high ambitions, like trying to become like title player, like I am GM, like at some point you should probably study the Roy. <laughs> it's just going to be so good for your chess. All right. Yeah, yeah. And the, the Carl, you know, and I, one thing I realized too is like the Carlson Rui is a lot like the London, is, it's a lot like the Carlson London, you know? It's a very similar thing where you're going to grind somebody to death. Okay. David, what do you got for us with the Nidorf? Um, 
There's a lot of lines against the night orf. Um, and I don't think that there's like a clear best line among them. Mm -hmm. mm. But I guess I'm slightly not a fan of bishop c4, bishop e2, a4, rook g1, h3. Um, so I would tend towards either playing bishop e3 or bishop g5. And let's just pick one out of a hat or out of a coin flip in my brain. I'll go with bishop g G <laughs> bishop, G3? Bishop, G, um, bishop g5 okay bishop g5 okay i don't know the most theoretical the most evil um Kosi, let me ask you what i'm setting this up as a dragon expert like when i was a kid bishop g5 was considered like the thing to do and mm. nowadays it's really fallen out of favor yeah it's like that used to be like the thing so is it easy to explain why bishop g5 is no longer the hot dog and their people are playing all these weird moves yeah i mean my um opinion is that against the night orf in particular you can um pose a lot of problems without having to study like the full negi book mm -hmm. um so i'll probably stick with my h3 recommendation as just being kind of a good uh, middle ground between having a lot of dangerous ideas, but without needing to have to like study a bunch of lines. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a weird one. The Bishop G5 Knight, or if it's definitely a, a position that I've never wanted to touch from either side, <laughs> because from black uh, black's point of view, it feels super dangerous to have to go grab the pawn, and then from white's point of view, I mean, your position is extremely you know suspect. Like you've given up the B2 pawn and. Uh, you got to know a bunch of lines. You might end up two, three pawns down in some position, but you have enough comp to make it work. And you got to know like 20 moves of theory. Um, I actually had a student who prepared the line. I don't even remember whether he prepared it from white's point of view or from black's point of view, but he only prepared it to like move 19 or something. And his opponent knew it clearly uh, a couple moves deeper than that and won. You know, And I don't even remember what color he had. It didn't matter <laughs> ultimately. Right. But his opponent was slightly higher rated, slightly better prepared. And he had like no chance in that position even though he was actually very well prepared for like a 2200 rated player. Uh -huh. So um, I, yeah, I think from White's point of view, it just doesn't feel like the most practical thing in the world. Cause you could also nowadays play something like a Rook G1 or a Knight B3 or an A3 and, uh, and pose some problems for a couple of games, you know, and, and then move on to something else. Right. And uh, Eugene's saying a lot of Bishop G5s are uh, a memory contest. Definitely. And I guess another point we should add about Bishop G5 is Black has so many different options after Bishop G5 that it's the real onus on White to learn everything, right? Yeah. To learn all those lines. And to that end, uh, this has everything to do with my recommendation, is I think a really annoying thing for Nidorf players is to start off with... Uh, two knight c3 and we're going to talk about different things for different players um but i'll explain that here oh my god here what i like about it is that 
they have to make a decision. Um, so, for example, if a lot of people know that against... Um, oh, man, I got this. Hold on just a second. Um, a lot of people know that... Are you trying to sort of show the chessboard on screen? Jessica? No, 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 I'm not. Okay. I'm trying to get the color right. If I don't, I, I somehow don't have the color defaulted to black, so it's a little bit annoying, but I'm, uh -huh. I'm working on it. So here we go. Um, a lot of people know, for example, as I did when I was a Sicilian player, that if they're going to play Grand Prix, e6 is a very good move. So sometimes you go two knights e3, the dragon player will then play e6. Then I'm going to say, however, if they do uh, e6, then we're going to go knight f3, and we're going to talk about that in the final e6 Sicilian. But uh, knight c3, d6, then I think the Grand Prix is a great opening after d6. So that's my two cents mm -hmm. there for... Uh, and, and that, by the way, we have some questions. Is this for pro players or club players? Uh, we have different philosophies. For me, I, all of these openings, I think, are just as good for pro players as for club players. And even for myself, it's very hard for me to learn openings very deeply. So I want them to be as simple as possible and also for, as annoying as possible to my opponents. That's <laughs> been part of my opening philosophy in general. But as you see with uh, Eugene's, uh, business. We were talking about cam gambits for under 2,000 and Rui for 2,000 plus. We have slightly different philosophies about whether this is for pro or for the club player. Okay, uh, Kostya, what do you got for us for the Nidorf? You're going to say H3. Yeah. I, I think I will. By the way, Jesse, maybe you can try like just duplicating one of the text so that it it's black text by default and then you can just change it or something. I don't know. Mm, okay. um, but uh, yeah, I'm definitely recommending lines for club players here, mostly because I think that's who's listening. And we were talking a little bit about this, like off stream, like for pros, I mean, they they kind of have to play a lot of different stuff and they got to like try to surprise each other. And they're usually just playing the main lines. I don't know. Yeah, making recommendations for them for white is kind of, it seems a little strange because they're just going to be trying everything. Um, but yeah, for developing players who like just want like a solid repertoire, that helps them improve their game while like, yeah, playing something kind of known and sound. Um, so for against the Nidorf, I, I do, I'm still a big believer in the H3 lines. Um, and uh, so obviously that's what I suggested in my Sicilian book. And I've always felt like this was a nice mix of kind of like both um, a line that has like a very solid strategic foundation, like just trying to gain some space with G4, trying to get the bishop to G2 in a lot of positions where it's doing good work on the diagonal, um, combined with posing a lot of problems for black, because if they go for one of the typical like knight or setups, like with E6, then white gets a very quick like G4, G5, and uh, it can often get a nice version of like the Karis attack, which is often, you know, basically like black doesn't really allow it that much anymore. Um, so yeah, I think H3 is still a lot of fun to play. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. Get my book, <laughs> study, <laughs> study some, some players, you know, Vichy, Nepo, a bunch of these guys like the H3 line still. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as, as did Mitch. So Eugene, what do you like against the Nidorf? Well, a quick segue into the H3, um, even though H3 was played by Fisher and it's quite a flexible move, but as I pointed out uh, in my second game against Mitch, I was able to get him out of his comfort zone by playing G6. 
and transferring the game into like a dragon territory or dragon dwarf. And I feel like while H3 is a very, uh, very strong move, if you're a club player and you don't know all the different subtleties, all different types of positions, uh, black can play G6, E6, E5, right? I think H3 is getting a little bit almost like too theoretically heavy mm -hmm. because you have to have a setup against all of black's different choices. Yeah. Um, so that's why I would actually go uh, a little bit Jesse's approach here. I would say if you're a club player or you're starting out and you need an opening against the Sicilian, don't play the open Sicilian, period. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're entering a territory where there's a lot of um, strategically complex positions and you're already making a mistake by playing D4, right? Because you're giving up one of your central points. So statically, you are worse. Like if you if, if black survives to an endgame, right? Most likely white is gonna get tortured. Um, and especially for players who don't understand that, uh, a lot of them who play the Sicilian and don't give checkmate, uh, they may they may face those kind of problems. So I think I would recommend the Grand Prix. So move knight to two, uh -huh. and pre pretty much play f4. Uh, you know, knight of three, bishop b5, if you can, or if black plays a6 or e6, um, go for the g3, close Sicilian, but at least uh, white, I mean, sorry, black wasted a tempo with a6, and you can still get a nice attack in position. Okay, yeah, yeah, good. So that's my recommendation for club players. Now, if you're above, you know, certain, again, 2000 is just an arbitrary number. Um, I guess if you're an ambitious player, and you want to reach master 2200 plus or better at that point i would probably recommend the english attack mm -hmm. and i would actually recommend the f3 move order just to avoid those knight g4 lines again unnecessary memorization of the knight g4 that's a huge chapter right right i would just play f3 bishop e3 queen d2 castle queen side and do what mitch did against me when he played the against the perk in game one just checkmate Okay, good. Now, by the way, everybody, we're getting some questions about, is this for the peasants? Is this for, who is this for? And again, it's a little bit different. And with Eugene, we have the clearest distinction. And he's, he's giving uh, recommendations both for under 2,000 and over 2,000. And like he said, it's a little bit arbitrary where that line is drawn. But 2,000 is just a nice round number. Okay, David, what do you think about the French? Um, this one, I know that the best move is knight c3 on move three. Uh-huh. So I can say that with, uh, with confidence. Um, you should play knight c3 against the French at, yeah. <laughs> you can play other moves for fun now and then just so you know they exist, but yeah, you should play knight c3. Yeah. Okay. Good. That, I guess that gives me a segue into mine and, uh, I, of course, have played the French forever, and I, I think there's a valid argument for saying that knight c3, three knight c3, is the best move against the French uh, from an objective standpoint. Uh, but kind of like the pro it has a similar problems actually to David's recommendation for the knight or with bishop g5, which it's going to require you to learn a lot more. For example, the winnower is very complicated, and also the classical knight of six. There's just a lot of variations to learn. And one video that I did here for um, Chess Dojo, 
that I'm very happy with. And I would really recommend this for all players. And it has to be good because Magnus played it after I created the video, after he <laughs> got turned on to it. And that's my easy system against the French. Uh, very simple thing to understand, but very dangerous. Um, and I really do think that could be played for any level. Uh, the easy system against the French, yeah. And um, I think there's, even at, at a pro level too, you know, these things that are with Knight C3 and stuff, it's very complicated. And as a French player, what's nice about moves like 3 Knight C3 is they, they do give me a lot of opportunity to hide. You know, mm -hmm. different sidelines. There's so many different ways of doing things. Um, yeah, anyways. Yeah. And I would say, Jesse, in Knight C3, I just want to acknowledge that the winner variation in particular is an opening that a lot of 1E4 players struggle with, like right. badly. So mm -hmm. I believe that objectively those positions are pretty good for white, but a lot of people do really struggle to play them, um, you know, including really, really good players. You know, up, up, up to GM level, there will be people who are great E4 players and the winner is like their weakness. Fisher included, Fisher included, yeah. I was thinking of him, but yeah. I didn't know if you would accept that he had a weakness. So oh, he, he definitely had a weakness, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Against the French in general. Kostya, yeah. what do you got for us? Um, yeah, so I, I think I would echo what you guys are saying <laughs> in that Knight C3 seems like objectively the most dangerous move, but like as a former French player, I was always happy to see Knight C3, and I didn't even play the Winter War. I, I can't imagine how happy Winter War players are to see Knight C3, but even as like a Knight F6 Steinitz player, I was always happy to get um, that close structure where white is like maybe attacking on the king side. I'm getting like the queen side counterplay. I know like the end games pretty well. I was always kind of happy uh, in that territory. That's not necessarily a reason to avoid it for white if you think it's critical, but um, one line that I was, I was always unhappy to see was the, the, the 92 French, mm -hmm. the Tarash. And I, I would feel like um, seeing it from White's point of view more recently, because I have a lot of like E4 playing students, and of course the French is, is a big thing to look at. I think the 92 French is just kind of like the simplest for White to just get like a very playable and healthy position, and also a position that to me just feels uh, difficult for, for Black, especially... Um, you know, when black, I, I could go to a board if we want, but like when black plays knight of six on move three, as most French players like to do, then these lines with e5 and knight d7, the bishop on c8 is always just stuck and a big problem. Um, so, yeah, I think from a practical point of view, the knight d2 French is, is the way to go. Let me actually, let's go to the board just for half a second then. And mm -hmm. um, just to clarify a couple of these things. So let's put this on the board. And... I'm going to ask David as well. So after knight f6, you know, there's the c5 move, of course, too. Which system do you like here, Kostya? Um, in, in this move order, I, um, I like both, but I would probably go with uh, knight e2 and then knight, uh, knight df3. So, so not, bishop d3 here. Oh, bishop d3 first, right. The old school mm -hmm. thing, yeah. Got it. Okay. So because uh, the second option is to go like knight gf3. Oh, you meant the f4 line also. There's even f4 as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that one, but I, I kind of like this system. Right. Uh, okay. No, this is fine. This is a little bit annoying for black. Um, 
And David, let me just ask you, buddy, what, on knight f6, what did you like, the bishop g5 or the... I think you like the bishop g5, right? Against knight f6? Yeah. Um, I think that it's basically equal between e5 and bishop g5, okay. but I've played bishop g5 a lot more often myself. Right, right. Um, but, uh, I mean, from the games and analysis that I've studied with e5, it looked pretty similar. So <laughs> I don't really have... All right, fair enough. A strong preference there. Eugene, what do you like to do against the French? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, actually, let me use the board as well to show you my thought process. Okay. So again, if you're just starting out, uh, you don't have a good weapon against the French. I feel like if you play this move, d4, d5, knight, c3, let me go back here one moment. You have to know three things. Bishop b4, the winner, you have to know knight f6, and you have to know d takes e. Yeah, that's almost you have to know three different openings, mm -hmm. right? That's a lot of work, and of course, most ambitious players are gonna put in that work. That's why, again, I would b break up my recommendations b based on that. Mm -hmm. So again, let, let's arbitrary say two thousand or less ambitious player, or if you're just starting out, I would not recommend to play uh, d4. All right, so after d4. The problem is there's just not too many uh, wiggle room for white. Instead, I would actually recommend this approach. You can play d3 and go for a systematic approach, pretty much. You can also use it against the, we're going to talk later about Sicilians with e6. This is called the King's Indian attack. Right. So this is very easy to learn. Fisher actually played it a couple of times, right? You guys remember the famous Fisher games? Uh, guess who is a big fan of this opening when he was, uh, I think he was 13 years old, world champion, former world champion. It's always Kramnik with you. Was it Kramnik? Kasparov. Kasparov, yeah. I knew that. <laughs> I knew that. I actually made a video of, of Jan Kasparov crushing someone with this uh, Kings Indian. And he actually used it against Nigel Short in the Blitz game. If you guys remember, he crushed Nigel. He goes to this opening when he doesn't have time to prepare. This is like his youth opening very easy to learn you just go for this setup right. and you start the king's indian um rather king's indian attack play on the king side but recently i've been thinking and liking this move which is controversial move f4 and oh. recommending it to a lot of club players my students specifically and the idea is after d5 e5 c5 hikaru nakamura actually crushed yasser seiran at one of the US championships a while back, where black delays playing d4. So you don't play d4 at all, you play c3. And sometimes you can play this funky move knight a3, knight c2. Then you play d4, you take with a knight, right? You get a very strong piece. And a lot of times black puts the knight on, let's say, e7, f5. White goes and takes this knight, doubles the pawns. And you actually have a pretty healthy dark square strategy position and usually french players have no clue what to do here as black <laughs> so that's your that's for the advanced version that's the advanced well version. i wouldn't even call this advanced i think uh, it's just for oh you mean who would i recommend the move to yeah like, yeah yeah uh no club players oh club players okay. yeah you could actually play this on a 2200 as a surprise and higher but objectively it's probably not the best move that's why i would not recommend it as a lifetime repertoire uh -huh. um but the 
you know, from a repertoire point of view, this is like a great surprise for club players. Almost no theory, easy to learn. You can start playing it immediately. Uh, I did a couple of videos on this mm -hmm. on my website, uh, chessopeningsexplained.com. Or I would do the young Kasparov approach, just learn the King's Indian attack uh -huh. and play that. You, I got to just interject. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that this system that you're suggesting is the system that McDonnell used against Le Bourdonnais in their match in 1834. Oh, wow. wow. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. <laughs> and it always started with the Sicilian move order, but that's the way it happened. Yeah. Yeah, because you can get this via my Grand Prix recommendation, too. That's yeah, right. You're that's right. right. Okay, so do you want to give us another different recommendation for the for the top players, or you want to leave it there? Uh, yes, if you are an ambitious player, um, you know, let's say two thousand uh, or twenty two hundred plus, um, you probably want to learn either the ninety two system, you know, or the ninety three. So, I don't really have a strong preference. I think it's a stylistic issue. Mm -hmm. If you're more into the slow squeeze Karpov style, I like the ninety two more. Uh, again, you avoid the winner, which is a huge chapter. Right. And if you're in the Negi school of thought or Gary Kasparov with his prime, I'm going to crush you and play the best possible moves. Then, of course, you probably want to meet uh, D5 with Knight C3 and just learn everything. Use right. Leela, Stockfish, uh -huh. latest books. Just, uh, you know, go with the full Mitch approach here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. David, what do you got for us with the Caro? All right, against the Karl Kahn, um, I think the advanced variation is the best. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, yeah, really. And, and you know what? I'm just going to My answers are pretty simple. No, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Um, I think, oh, you were saying this, I think that's, to, to me, is really hurt the Karl a lot. And it was the reason why in the show when you guys listed the Caro as one of the best openings. Oh, shh. Uh-oh, something just dramatic happened. <laughs> oh, wait, I know what happened. I know what happened. Jeez, that was frightening. I almost lost my entire business. Yeah. Okay. Um, you got to be careful these days. You got to be careful about what you touch and how you touch them. There could be a cancellation <laughs> of you. <laughs> okay. Um, I still am lost here. Uh, how did this happen? I'm real. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna regret something here. Uh, I think I oh, I have a really bad feeling about this. Okay, good, I got it. So, um, <clears throat> sorry about that. I am also a big fan of this e5 thing, and I'll just say in my lifetime, this has definitely shifted. When I was a kid, everybody played three knight c3, and the idea was that on e5, you're giving black uh, a good French was the idea. And to my mind, the significant shift that's happened in chess, the approach to chess in general is the significance of time. And what, that, what, what I'm saying is, actually maybe just show a board here, is that, you know, when I was a kid, you looked at this and you said, all right, I got a good French. The problem is, <laughs> the problem is you do not have a good French because you owe white this critical tempo and getting C5 out. And I think it's a real problem, a real problem for black. If 
In the other case, if, if we were still back in the day with knight c3, d, e, then I think black is doing great, especially with a move like bishop f5, though there's others. Yeah, that's my little two cents. Kostya, what are you thinking? Um, okay, against the Karo, uh, again, I definitely agree the advance is going to be kind of like the most objectively um, powerful line. So uh, let me take a Eugene approach here for like, Professional players, I'll definitely go with the advanced variation. Mm -hmm. um, but for uh, club players, or as we lovingly call them, peasants, <laughs> uh, I, I'm quite fond, actually, of the uh, exchange caro with uh, oh, uh -huh. bishop d3. So not the pawn of attack, but with bishop d3 and then putting the pawn on c3. Yeah. Funny um, enough, Costa, that's actually our recommended line before it got popular in our white book. Oh, very cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and let me show a couple moves. Um, yeah, let me just change to be more specific. Yeah. There's a famous, famous game, Fisher against Petrosian, when that system was played at the highest level. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, take um, a, take us through it, Costa. Right. So the line I'm talking about here is to take take bishop d3 uh knight c6 c3 and then um very specifically not developing the knight to f3 after let's say knight f6 but rather going bishop f4 so that on bishop g4 we can play uh, this move queen b3 that's kind of annoying for black um, i think if white plays an early knight f3 then black just pins with bishop g4 and it's usually pretty comfortable um, but in this move order, we kind of delay it, and then Black has to decide whether they want to go for these Bishop G4, Queen B3 lines, or if they want to block in their Bishop with like E6, or if they want to play like G6 here, which kind of has its own drawbacks because the Bishop doesn't really uh, want to be on G7 in this position. Um, so I think this is actually a pretty simple and healthy line for, for White to play, just kind of play eventually, for, for example, after E6, then White comes out with Knight F3, castles, puts the rooks on the e-file and just kind of um, tries to use this e5 square. And I think it's just very simple for white and um, you just get a nice flexible position without having to know a whole lot of theory, you know, against the Karo. Because uh, I think the Karo is like really solid. And even if you study a lot of lines in e5, it's like not a guarantee that you're going to get a position that you're super comfortable with. It's kind of like Winnower-esque in that sense to me. Um, so yeah, this would be my, my, my rec for uh, the club players. Okay, cool. And actually, I want to give a shout out to something I it took me, I was an old man before I understood this, is that you can play knight f3 here and you can still be a very dangerous man. <laughs> because <laughs> you are just a tempo up on a Carlsbad structure. And even sure. bishop g4 is, it, it's not going to solve all of black's problems. True. Yeah. True. But this is, I, I've recommended this to students as well. It's a very simple thing to learn also very instructive because once you learn it you will have kind of understood what the carlsbad structure is about okay good all right eugene what do you got yep i'm actually 100 percent in agreement on this one with costa mm -hmm. um as a matter of fact i like the fact that the pawn structure is uh, automatically set which a lot of club players have hard time with those advanced versions because Sometimes black plays c5, sometimes, sometimes black takes uh, on d4, sometimes white takes on c5. The position and the pawn structure is just too complex. So if you're a club player, highly, highly uh, recommend the, uh, the exchange, uh, Kara, uh -huh. for sure. 
Now, um, one interesting thing. Do you guys know what, right here, what the best move is from Leela, the chess engine that you could buy Storm, the kind of alpha zeros? Uh, uh -huh. No, I don't know. Alpha zeros uh, prototype in the free, free chess world. So knight f3 is best move, according to Leela. Uh -huh. And after d5, the move that I was literally shocked and a lot of top GMs started playing this move. Do you guys know the move? Uh -uh. It's D3. Huh. Wow. You're going into this end game with uncastled king, right? You're losing the right to castle. Everything I've been taught about chess, this is a big no-no for white. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but this is actually, according to Leela, is the best against the Karakhan. That's really well, interesting. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and uh, there are a lot of very instructive wins for White in this endgame, like Giri uh, won against Nipo, Nipomnishi, and then a bunch of other. Aronian played it a couple times. But the best part of this all is against this move. Uh, I think Knight F D2 is the best. Right. What? What? No, that makes sense What's to me. Happening? And the idea is you play F3, the Knight ends up going here, you uh -huh. go here. Yeah, this yeah. knight usually goes to a3 and you know supports his body. The bishop goes there. Mm -hmm. King sometimes even goes to e1. That's the best move. Yeah. So again, I would not recommend that to anyone below 2200 or even 2400 <laughs> or 2800. Uh, yeah, this is like uh, a level of chess that's shocking to me, and it took me a while to understand until I got crushed a couple of games myself as black. Um, so this is modern chess right here, guys. Right. So you know if you see this in the book. It's probably because of Leela. That's, that's um, really interesting. And actually, you know, for people, uh, fans of the dojo, if you just watch my rep exchange uh, repertoire or endgame repertoire for Black, it's very similar. The ideas that we're getting and the C6 pawn is not helping Black. Um, let me ask you something, Eugene, just while we're on this. Let's say dude doesn't take on E4. Why is D3 a great move? Let's say, I don't know, let's just say I play a move like that. Yep, and so if they play that, which is a very logical move, I believe there are some tricks involving this move h3. Uh-huh, I get And if it. you don't want to give up, which you probably don't want to make a concession, right? Well, even if I did, I could, you know, the Karo players love to do that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, the big difference is the knight is not committed to c3. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. this makes a huge difference in the two knights variation of the Karo, uh -huh. where sometimes it gets hit or pinned. Uh -huh. The flexible structure allows you to play almost like righty style uh -huh, without uh -huh. compromising that knight c3 move so okay. we can go like g4 here or something g4 yeah. or just g3 and just slow build up and later you can even play c3 if you need to uh -huh. yeah it's true the I, to me the main problem with this line in the two knights is bishop to b4 mm -hmm. and then like bishop d2 d4 d4 yeah where they trade their score bishops yeah yeah that's what i don't like for white in that line or that's what i do like for black so um, I can understand why this would be nice for white now, but I'm, I'm totally shocked by this. <laughs> by end. the end game. And there are even crazy moves like here, believe it or not, yeah, h4. They... Oh, After yeah. This, I think it's knight e4, uh, knight e5. Oh, buddy. Oh, uh -huh. buddy. Or, or even h, actually maybe h5. Something yeah, crazy. I've seen like people h5. do this kind of stuff. Yeah, oh, h5. h5 is a baller yeah. move. That's a really baller move, yeah. Oh. And, and basically, when you see enough games at the top level, and there's a lot of games these days where people do this as white and block just gets slaughtered, you realize that, well, maybe these Leela engines are onto something with this Knight of 3 D3 approach. But of course, for that, you've got to be at least, you know, probably a strong IMGM level. 
Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I think it's really ingenious. I, when my endgame repertoire thing, it's very simple. It's a very simple idea of how to put the pieces after they exchange the queens. Yeah. Uh, Eugene, thank you, okay. for, thank you for the lesson. That was great. Yeah, I want to change my recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you something, Jesse? Yeah. You said, you said white's going to play knight d2, c3, knight c4. And then, like, 30 seconds later, you said black c6 pawn isn't helping him at all. So, what, why is c3, like, that's not even yet played for white going to be worth a tempo? And for black, it's a bad move. Um, you mean white, if white plays c3? Yeah, in, you were saying that in the endgame position that white right. was going to play, you know, knight d2, f3, c3, knight c4. Because the and white, then, oh, I have an answer. Let, actually, let's show okay. it. So if we go here, what the computer is wanting to do is to dominate the black knight on f6 with f3 and then play c3, king c2 to develop the white king on c2. It's totally ingenious, yeah. And just, to, just so people understand where I'm coming from, in this uh, endgame repertoire that I did, it went like this. It's a very similar thing, except it's a better version. <laughs> the Carl Kahn thing is a much better version than this one, though this is totally playable for black. And if black understands the ideas, first of all, I think it's equal. And second, uh, it's uh, just a really vibrant position to play, to learn to play endings and also to try to outplay people in endings. Okay, but we should move on. Cause, but I, I like that. I'm, I'm going to use that at some point. That's really, that's really good. All right, David, what do you got for us with the Scandi? The nasty Scandi. Uh, nasty Scandi. Um, all right. So the best thing to do against the Scandi, I don't, I don't know like a name for the variations or anything uh -huh. in the Scandi, but um, let's say black plays like a queen d5 a5 line. I mean, I can't cover every standing line, right? Because they okay, can go yeah. d6, sure, d8, let's, let's do play this knight one, f6, yeah. pawn mm -hmm. move 2 instead of taking the pawn. Let's say they go queen a5. Then I think that what white should do is play like, you know, d... First of all, I do think that you should play knight c3. I've played around with other moves, like, you know, mm -hmm. knight f3 and d4. Because right. it is true that the knight on c3 blocking your c-pawn is kind of awkward. Right. Um, and that, that compensates for the time that you're gaining by your game time being slightly awkward instead of perfect. Um, but I would say in these lines, basically, you want to play bishop d2, bishop c4, queen e2, um, and castle queen side quickly. Mm -hmm. And um, with the quick queen e2 in some lines, you can play d5 really fast is one thing to be aware of um, because the e6 pawn will be under pressure and or not be able to take on d5. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you can play d5 and you may not even realize you can play it because your opponent has pawns on like c6 and e6 or something. But you play d5 and they take with one pawn and you take with your knight and then your bishop attacks the queen. So, right. you know, you just you just hang your pieces on d5 and it doesn't matter. Anyway, I would say you go bishop c4, queen e2, castle, queen side quickly and um, and then try and just blow the opponent up. No, good, good, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you guys what, I'm, I have my own name for the system, but you guys, and, and so I'll give it to my own thing because I agree with David, I like the system a lot. And I'm gonna call it the Shiroff slash Negi, if that's okay. acceptable to people. And the reason I'm calling it that is that um, Shiroff in my mind was the first one to really play it very well back in the day. And then, 
Now it's part of the Negi thing. And what's so hilarious is we had that system uh, with Mitch's battle with Eugene. And, and uh, at some point, Mitch went off and, and, and people in the chat were saying, that's not Negi. That's not what <laughs> Negi says. <laughs> so that's why I'm calling it this year off Negi. But I'm open to different names if people have a different name for the thing. I guess not. Okay. Uh, Kostya, what are you thinking for your Scandi? Um, so I have a slightly different recommendation. I'll probably need the board for this one. Sure. Uh huh. Take it away. Okay. So I'm, yeah, definitely a fan of all this queen a5 d4 and um, but I like the line without bishop d2 I think it's actually pretty dangerous. So I think usually black starts with either knight f6 or, or c6 here. Mm -hmm. um, I would go knight f3. Okay. Uh, and on. They, yeah, let's say c6 because they love to do that thing. So c6. Yeah, I think is probably the main move. I would go bishop c4. Mm hmm. Um, and here's where black probably chooses between like bishop f5 and bishop g4. Let's do bishop g4 because I think the Shiroff idea was just to not have this annoyance. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. So you're right. So here I would go h3. Mm-hmm. Um, probably bishop h5. Yeah. And then um, uh, g4, bishop g6. And I play for these uh, knight e5 lines. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think we should just bear in mind that if people want to use this, what a lot of Scandi players will do here is they'll just take the thing and play this setup. Right. The Scandi setup, you know. This is like the John Bartholomew approach. He loves this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's the way they do it. And it's very, it's, in honor of the Scandi players, <laughs> the terrible Scandi players, it is very solid. It's incredibly solid, though you have a little bit less space and, the, and you don't have the bishop. Kosa, how would you like to christen this uh this opening i'm having a tough time i would um i don't know can we just call it like a uh the costia you want to call it the costia no no it's not my line can we just call it like an early 95 line because another one of the ideas like if if black let's say plays bishop g4 in this position is to again go like h3 g4 and really the point of of this one is that not only are we trying to play um, h4 and h5 here, is this typical like idea to trap the bishop in and get black to play h6 so we can take on g6 and wreck their structure. But if black plays a move like knight d7, um, there's actually a really strong idea for white to play knight c4 in this position. Oh, we're not on the board. No, I, I, I got it. I got it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, I, was, <laughs> I was writing in the stuff. Yeah. Oh, no worries. So yeah, this knight c4 move is also very annoying uh, threat for black because the queen is forced back to a6 white goes bishop f4 mm. and already knight d6 is in the air and this is really dangerous queen c6 d5 that's why after the move knight e5 i think black has to play e6 in this position just to survive mm -hmm. uh, the key difference being knight c4 queen a6 bishop f4 queen c6 there's no d5 here right so black saves themselves because of this tempo um, but then after e6, h4, this is just like super dangerous. And yeah, if the Scandi player is just kind of like winging it here, I think they're going to have a really, uh, really tough time figuring this one out. So this seems pretty, pretty dangerous to me. 
Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just calling it the early 95, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I would agree that this early queen's uh, king side uh, expansion is the most dangerous for the Scandi players. Uh-huh. Uh, because I think Mitch eventually uh, played castle king side against me. And right. I think I got a pretty solid position. I gave up the bishop pair, but mm -hmm. I had this monster knight on d5. Uh, his bishop on c3 was poor. And he locked it up on, uh, I think, d2, c1. And eventually just got outplayed on light squares. That's what you know a lot of Scandi players like. Right. So you gotta play sharp. You gotta play sharp. Uh, I like any any gambit lines or any lines where you castle queenside and just try to use uh, the the tempo on the queen on a five. Right. Right. Okay, David. How about the perk? What should we do? Hmm. I think, um, well, while David's thinking about it, I'll say some people are pretty highfalutin and they say Peartz or something like that. You know, they get <laughs> real, they yeah. get real <laughs> fancy. <laughs> I just overunderstood. We're talking about the perk. <laughs> okay. I'll try not to mention the Peartz. Um, I guess, uh, the classical variation. So with, uh, knight F3. Yeah, the classical yeah. is like knight f3, bishop e2, bishop e3. Mm-hmm. Sure, fair enough. Yeah. But I think that a lot of variations are pretty much equivalent against the Pirates, like value-wise. Um, like, I think you could play the kingside fianchetto line. I think you could play the bishop e3, f3 lines. Um, maybe even the bishop c4 lines are okay, too. Okay, fair enough. Uh, for myself, I will say that I've played the classical a lot just because I've begun a lot of games with knight f3 and then those transposed. And mm -hmm. so I've felt a lot of envy, though, by the people who can do what Mitch did, which is bishop e3 and, and queen d2 with a, with a vicious attack. I think, you know, uh, Eugene was talking about how it's theoretical, and it's certainly theoretical... But one thing that's fascinating to me about it is it's the kind of position that uh, you can get a feel for. You know, you can really get a feel for, and black can do different things. Uh, but if you get a feel for it and have, have your, you know, be prepared tactically for the mayhem that's about to start, I, it's just a beautiful thing. And it's one of the last positions, even in high-level chess, where you can get a raging attack out of the opening instantly. That doesn't mean you're going to be winning, but it's going to be this incredibly violent position immediately out of the opening. Okay, Costa, what are you thinking? Uh, yeah, I'm with you, you, Jesse. I always refer to this one as the, the perk 150 attack. <laughs> um, right? Uh, so bishop e3, queen d2. No, I just think it's like a really just simple system to play, and you get a nice natural attacking plan. You go um, bishop e3, queen d2, h4, h5. Uh, I recommend players to not commit to f3 or knight f3 too early, but yeah. decide based on black setup. Sometimes you want knight f3, sometimes you want the knight to come out to h3, and you want to put the pawn on f3. So that's the only thing where players kind of go wrong. I think they play f3 really quickly, because mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not quite the same thing as an English attack, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think this is the uh, both the practical and objectively one of the best lines to play. 
Okay, Eugene, what do you got? And I would definitely agree because I tried to take advantage of Mitch not playing F3, trying to confuse him with knight G4. Yeah. And you saw what happened in game one. I just got slaughtered. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He played very good chess. So, I mean, maybe I could have done better, but I don't think, uh, you know, I played all the logical moves and just got completely lost position out of the opening. Right. So, uh, I think the most, uh, the best line for black is to play this early C6, B5. Don't commit the bishop to g7. Mm, yeah, yeah. And but that is really where if white is well prepared, uh, his pieces are well centralized. Uh, he has better space control. The king is on e8, gets stuck. Um, I feel like you know you just pick a line like that, and it's going to be very tough for black uh, to survive the opening. Right. Okay, David. Let's move on to the dragon. Um, Yugoslav attack. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the old standby. I think it's it's it, it's fun, David. You you've got the old like the uh, the old big time recommendations from back in the day. Theoretically heavy. Yeah, it's basically uh, openings for white according to Anand <laughs> or okay. Fisher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't have any knight f three d threes to throw at the Caro in my own repertoire <laughs> right now. That's right. Some pretty standard stuff. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah. So, and I will stick to my guns. Basically, the same approach with the knight. Or I'm gonna I'm gonna switch it up on the next one though. And um, so we're gonna say uh, two knight c. Oh, actually, what am I gonna do? I I can I, I can just copy and paste this one here. Look at that one. Bang bang. And then move it on down. Cry. Move it on down. Knight c3, then Grand Prix. Okay, Kostya, what do you got against this dragon thing? Um, just put nine castles long. Or <laughs> nine, <laughs> nine castles long. Okay. Understood. That's funny, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I like the bishop c4 lines. I just think at lower levels, if you castle long in that position, you'll get to play the bishop c4 lines. But, like, again, like up to Tempe, because uh, you just take on c4. Okay, so. wait. So... so, so <laughs> So, so, so not the Yugoslav. Not you know, the Yugoslav. Yugoslav, but he's saying if you castle queenside instead of bishop yeah. c4, he's expecting black to still just play rook c8, knight e5, knight c4, as if you had played the bishop c4 line. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which it's I like think way, happens, like, yeah, It's like what I said about the Leningrad Dutch against London players. It's like you played the king's Indian defense, but, like, you got to just play f5 over your knight when you wanted mm -hmm. to. I'm going to change right. it then to nine... Castles long. You can I put guess, that for me too if you want, Jesse. Because that. Good question, guys, from the chat and from me. What if I played the accelerate dragon? Well, right. I mean, we're going to get to that for sure. We're <laughs> going to get to that for sure. I, I, I think the accelerated is fantastic. So, David, you want me to change you to nine castles? You can if if Coast is being that specific. Because my recommendation would be the same. Because because I think it's wildly different. Uh, the two things. Let's see here. Yeah. So. Um, because, you know, Fisher was, I would say what Fisher did was the Yugoslav. And then this nine castles thing is its own, it's its own different new beast. So just to uh, be clear, we're saying Yugoslav is specifically like Bishop C4, like that variation. That's my understanding of it. Why don't, why don't we just show people what we're talking about? Yeah, right? I thought Bishop E3, F3 was the Yugoslav. Yeah, I just think of it as like, yeah, like kind of english attack but against the dragon <laughs> so we're about to talk about the accelerated and the accelerated leaves white less options and we'll get into why but here right we've got uh 
bishop e3 or bishop c4, and I guess to my mind, bishop c4 is the Yugoslav, if that makes sense. Whoa. Yeah, usually players here start with bishop e3. Bishop e3 first, because knight g4 is met by bishop b5 check. Yeah, okay, but you're still playing. It's and, then, and then f3 three. here. f3, queen d2, and then white decides. Yeah. Okay. At least that's like the modern move order. And then you choose between bishop c4 or, or castles. Yeah. Okay. And so by that's modern, Kostya means since Bobby. <laughs> well, we're about we're going to talk about bishop c4 because that's where the accelerated comes in. And it will, um, well, we'll let Eugene speak to it. And we'll come back. How about that? We'll let Eugene have his say. Eugene, what do you got to say about this position here? And both the accelerated and the normal dragon. Well, first of all, I would not recommend the open Sicilian to club players to begin with. So we're going to avoid the accelerated and the um, and the normal dragon. Okay, good. But if I were to get a Yugoslav attack, you know, if they always play the regular dragon, mm -hmm. and I were to get the Yugoslav attack, it doesn't matter. You pick one, bishop c4, or with the bishop one f1, mm. you just play queen d2, castle long, followed by the pawn storm. I think it's a fun position to play for white. Okay, absolutely. Now, so let's see. You're so you're also going to say something like three knight c three, then grand prix for the other, for for the normal folk. Yeah, normally, yeah, I would avoid the dragon or the uh, accelerate dragon or any open Sicilian. But you know, if you, you know, if you do get the dragon, if your opponent tells you before the game, like if I tell Mitch, Mitch, I'm going to play the dragon against you, he's probably going to like slaughter me. With right. some theory. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So let's actually, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you my naive sense of what's going on here, Eugene, and, and you're the master and you can just tell me. So this position is, I think, one of the things that we're avoiding with the uh, accelerated dragon, right? Right. Because are we, now are the we switching to the board? Is, is D5. Oh, I'm sorry. One of yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> That's no, it's it. all good. All good. So the best move according to theory here, guys, is d5. Right. Right. And because in the accelerated, the pawn is on d7, right, it's a huge difference. So if you go back here, yeah. all the way back to the beginning, all the way back here, let's just say we're going to do my hyper mm -hmm. accelerated move order. There's a very important nuance that people are missing, a lot right. of lower rated especially right they go they, they basically think black is playing the dragon right mm -hmm. so they're gonna go for this f3 queen d2 plan right yeah and then they get nailed and then the pawn is still here yeah so that's the big difference right so let's just show that if f3 let's say mm -hmm. castles queen d2, queen d2 smack smack right there and mm -hmm. i won a lot of games immediately sure in this I believe that. And so what, what I think, now maybe I'm getting the nomenclature wrong with the, with the uh, Yugoslav, but my sense is then right in this position, we're going to have to play bishop c4 if we want to yes. do it. And that's just going to be, you know, the old time Fisher. No, you position. still can't get it. No, no, no. You don't play, ca you could play castle, but black can go here now. Yeah, you can do that too. You can yeah. do that. And let's just say you've got loads of different options. The only reason I, I was saying that we get the Fisher option is in this position, black can transpose back into the normal yes. dragon. Yes, but black doesn't have to play d6. He can play uh, this move that uh, Gelfand plays, rook e8, 
you can also play a5. Yeah, loads of, yeah, exactly, loads of different options. So there. normally d6 is like not, is like the least popular move here. But I gotta say, even this position, what I consider the Yugoslav attack, is because in my mm -hmm. mind it's associated with Fischer, even this position, d6, very playable for black, as far as I can tell. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very very sharp, very yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, so let me just say, I mean, this trap with d5, I think this is one of like, top three biggest opening traps of all time in terms of like how many uh -huh. players it's caught and like oh yeah sure the result um of course yeah like you know at higher levels the accelerated dragon players just they don't get it so yeah i uh, i recommend the marazzi right against the accelerated dragon um right. which i think is kind of like the main drawback mm -hmm. um so in my mind, it's like it's up to black. Like if you want to play Marazzi, we'll play Marazzi. If you want to play Yugoslav, you know, or the the Castles line, we'll play that. Exactly. Yep. yep. And as a accelerate dragon player, I would rather play the Marazzi some end game than to get checkmated by mission twenty moves. <laughs> by the way, guys, if you want to, I don't think the Marazzi is that dangerous. And if you look at some of Eugene's games as black in this position, he's done really well to crank on lower rated players as well as hold his own on uh, against stronger players. A lot of interesting ideas. A lot of interesting positional ideas here. And, you know, usually in positions with more space, the computer really likes white. I turned on the computer here. Wasn't that, wasn't that impressed by the white position here, you know? So there's hope. There's hope for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, E6 Sicilian David, what do you got? Um... So, I mean, there's, there's still some variety in E6 Sicilians, mm -hmm. but I'm going to mention the line that Costia was afraid that Mitch would play against him, <laughs> uh -huh. which, which is this queen F3 variation. Uh -huh. Okay. So you basically, you play bishop E3, and then instead of playing F3, you play queen F3, as if you weren't, you didn't really know what the, uh, <laughs> what the English attack were. And uh, then you castle queenside, and white usually plays queen g3 is the point of it, I think. Or, I mean, one of the points of right. it is that the queen's really good on g3. On f3, she looks kind of stupid to me, the queen on f3. Uh -huh. um, so the first time I saw the move, I was like, uh, did somebody, you know, mouse slip trying to put their pawn on f3 or something? But on g3, she looks about as good as she looked bad on f3. So I think that's, an, that's like the one important thing to know about it. David, um, why don't you take us through some of these moves just so people can see what we're talking about. With okay, so we can play like uh, knight c3 here, um, queen c7, bishop e3, a6 maybe. Okay. And then queen f3 here. Got it. Okay, good. Yeah, and this is definitely the Mitch variation or the Negi variation, whichever one you want to call it. Okay. Yeah, and this only got popular. No, actually, sorry. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, what Eugene's saying, this this came out like right after uh, Negi's stuff. So Negi is still mm -hmm. recommending the ancient prehistoric Queen D2. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but a lot of the newer courses switched over to Queen F3. Costa, do you remember how Queen F3 came into it? Because it was like a shocker that shocked a lot of players, right? In the past five years. I remember seeing, yeah, the first few games, like... Um, like Mama Jarov playing it, and uh, like I think Giri had to like defend against it a bunch of times. <laughs> I don't even know the name of this system, but yeah, it's very sharp. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's uh, if it's been named yet. We're calling it the Queen F three. Yeah, F3. that's fine. <laughs> that, yeah, Call that's, it the Queen F three. 
I'll give it my recommendation. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty good. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, actually, I'll stick. I'll stay on the board just for a second to explain what I I think there's. So what I'm gonna say is, you know, not when let's say you play this position, you're gonna play knight c3 um, against stuff like d6. Uh, I think you should play the grand prix against e6. I don't think the grand prix is that good of a move because uh, if you play f4, d5 is just nice. Though, yeah, no, it's just, it's just a good position for black. On the other hand, now I think is a great time to switch over to the open. And one reason is I think it can be very, you can play it in a very simple way. And let me just show a variation. A6, and now bishop d3. It's a very simpleton, but I think straightforward approach where we're going to castle, and we're going to play for f4, and we're going to play for mate, and our pieces really are glued together really mm. nicely in this position. Uh, I beat Joel Benjamin in a U.S. championship once with a setup like this. It's just very simple to understand, and then later you can use your creativity and tactical abilities, you know, to to do whatever you want. There's really, and you don't have to learn. You know, you can look at some games, uh, this is to get a get a sense of how to play it. But ultimately, not uh, not that hard of a of a setup to learn. I used to play this for a while. Um, I inherited it from Josh Friedel. Uh huh. Um, but I think, I think black can just neutralize this completely now. So I don't play it anymore. Okay. But um, since I don't like to advance chess theory, maybe I won't say exactly how to neutralize <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, this is openings for white. We're not, we don't got to give anything away. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got where our board is looking pretty full and interesting now. Kosu, what do you got for us for E6 Sicilian? Um, yeah, so I think I'll, I think I'll split my recommendations up here as well. If I could, uh, if we could mm -hmm. go back to the board. Okay, sure. Um, so I'll say for like pro players, super ambitious folks, I'm totally, yeah, with David, the queen F3 line nowadays, I think just the more I look at it, cause I was playing the Taimana for a couple of years, just the, the more dangerous it felt from black's point of view. And, uh, I ultimately never really found the solution I was, uh, that happy with. In fact, I even started playing this with with white in a couple of games uh and that was that was a lot of fun um but if you're in the lower range like under 2000 i don't think these lines are really like worth uh studying at all i think there are like a lot of simpler options and like jesse mentioned the bishop d3 line is uh easy enough also another line i think that i would recommend to um players that are let's say starting out and they just want to get something simple and they don't want to study theory we don't want them studying theory would be just to take on c6 here mm. uh, i think black should go bc mm -hmm. because dc this end game is not fun uh where okay. black is committed to to e6 so mm -hmm. white white is happy here right. um so black will probably go bc and then the setup is essentially like bishop d3 mm. uh put the knight on d2 Castle kingside, b3, bishop b2, f4, queen e2, rook a1. It's like super, super simple. Just get your bishop to b2, get the queen to e2, rook a1, f4. Then you can decide how to attack on the kingside. Uh, you can play c4 in some positions. It's like, okay, just very, very simple. You get a clear plan. You get to play an open Sicilian. You don't have to study uh, a bunch of theory. And it's not easy for black at lower levels with the bishop on, on c8. Right. 
or at any level. I think that's a very <laughs> interesting structure to learn. It's got a lot of potential in it. And you can still play queen f3 to g3 if you want. <laughs> yeah, a lot of um, lot of options there. I also want to mention um, against the con okay. with a6. Mm. Um, we obviously don't have these knight takes c6 lines. I'm a big fan of this line with bishop d3 and uh, specifically delaying knight coming out to c3 because uh, the advantage of this one is that if black plays their like typical b5 is a lot of con players i have one student who will play b5 on autopilot <laughs> this actually can be a real mistake if the knight is not yet on c3 because white can crack uh black with a4 here and then after b4 the knight comes out to d2 and gets this like amazing square on c4 right whereas if the knight was on c3 and white had to move it away then that position is is fine for black the knight doesn't find a good square um and so the idea now, behind variation, this one... Now yeah, that variation, you can truly call all pawns and no hope because blacks move nothing but pawns. <laughs> <laughs> also all weaknesses and no hope. Yeah, yeah, literally just all... Yeah, not fun. Um, so what most players will do is they'll delay it. They'll play their typical moves like queen c7, castles, knight f6, queen e2. And basically the idea here for white is to essentially either wait for black to play b5 and then we'll go a4. Um, or at some point, White will simply play c4 and then bring the knight uh, out to c3 uh, behind it. So um, d6, for example, c4, knight comes out to c3, bishop d2, rook a1 again, king h1, f4. I think White's position, it doesn't exactly play itself. You should look at some games here, but it's like a very simple setup to learn. Uh, we're playing on the king side. We're playing for either this e4, e5 break or f5 or even g4, g5. All of like the typical Sicilian attacking ideas, uh, they come into play here. So against the con, I'm a big fan of this one. Okay, cool. And Eugene? Makes sense. Yes. Um, again, for our fellow peasants club players, I don't think this is a good option for white. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. After knight f3, right, d4. You have to know what to do against this move knight f6. Yeah. And after knight c3, there is obviously various options such as the Shaviringen. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, if you want to learn g4, good luck. That's extremely theoretical. If you don't know anything, you're probably going to lose the game, right? Mm. For either side. <laughs> so that's a huge uh, chapter. Another huge chapter is this knight c6. Um, yeah. You know, some people call it the four knights, the pelican that could transpose too many other openings, such as the Sveshnikov, there's knight db5. Mm -hmm. There's a super sharp, I don't even know the name of this one, uh, but we've yeah. seen Drave play it and many others, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. where they play queen c7, f4, and it just gets a total mess with the king coming to e2. Um, I think it goes like this, this, mm -hmm. uh, queen b, what is it? Yeah, queen b6. This line's queen crazy. Queen b6, c4, check, uh, bishop check, king e2. Oh my god, yeah. So bishop this is a just six, a total king insanity. F3. Bishop a6, king f3. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of the times the king does go here. So, I mean, these lines are, are just insane. I think f5. So, like, for example, if you play this as white, you have to know all this, right? We haven't even touched the a6 or queen c7. Yeah. And knight c6 so just way too many options and uh if you're a strong ambitious player 2200 plus for sure you have to know this if you're a club player and black 
play something like this and you're going to be out of theory, it's very easy to uh, kind of fall apart quickly. Right. So my simple recommendation is to play this move d3. All right. So uh -huh. what are you getting? If you play the uh, king's Indian attack against the French, you get automatically tra uh, by, you know, transposition into that opening. Yeah. Because what happens is if you play, uh, let me just show you the move order, this position, the best move there is, is this, right? Right. So you basically solve two openings with one setup. Mm -hmm. Now, <laughs> instead of learning 10 new openings, right? Instead of learning 10 openings for one setup. <laughs> so that's what I would recommend for a peasant club player because they have other things to work on there in chess, right? You know, not, if you're 2200 and extremely ambitious and trying to get advantage uh, and you don't mind, you know, some memorization, some work, then probably you could get away with this, uh, you know, concrete play. But in my opinion, uh, actually, let me show you. In my opinion, I would actually start with Jesse's move, knight c3. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we talked about g6, g6, uh, g6, g6. We have the grand prix option. And against e6, you actually could still play uh, kind of like a grand prix, but not the real grand prix. You can fan shadow the bishop. Right. So you can either play f4 first, or some people even play g3 first. And to me, d5 with potentially e takes and bishop g2. Relatively easy positions to play. I've played it many times as white. And, uh, you know, you're not really fighting for an open advantage, but you're just getting a very simple position. Right, right. Okay, what should, what should we call that, Eugene? King's Indian attack? I don't know what we're, what we're going to call that. Oh, yeah, you can, you can say King's Indian attack uh, uh -huh. Grand Prix. And okay. then for more ambitious players, you can say, uh, you know, open Sicilian or whatever mainline stuff. Okay, like the good. Queen F3 is pretty mainline. Yeah, good. Well, that was a great show, guys. I, I, I got a lot out of it. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. Knight F3, D3 against the Caro. That. <laughs> That's <Yep>. right. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's the refutation, according to Lila. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really beautiful uh, board that we got there at the end, too. Yeah. Okay, well, I think the next show at some point, right, has to be our recommendations against the various uh, responses to D4 as well. Maybe we can do mm -hmm. another board like this. Um, yeah, all right. Well, any final thoughts before we take it away? Yeah, this was a lot of fun. It, there's clearly a lot of approaches you can um, take when you're picking up openings, um, like... We had it. Yes, we were always just choosing between like either the big main lines or something practical or something like a system. Um, and it's like, yeah, there's just many ways to get there, but it's it's all about I think like choosing something, understanding the strengths and weaknesses, and then like kind of committing to those and developing like a consistent repertoire, whatever it may be. So right. hopefully people took away some some good suggestions. And if you missed any of it, it will be on YouTube, so you guys can check it out there. <laughs> 